Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Sun Gray. Creative is an adjective frequently used for today's guest, Miss Connie Fales, who is well known in Little Rock, Arkansas, for her clothing and fashion designs for the stars and us average folks, too. Today, she is the manager of the Clinton Museum Store and founder and developer of Curbside Couture, a clothing design competition like none other. One unique requirement of the contest is that all designs must be made of recycled products. And here comes the teacher part. The competitors are all students, high school age and below. Uh, But she ran her own clothing store in the Hillcrest neighborhood of Little Rock, Arkansas. It was simply called Connie Fails. For decades, Connie's original designs and excellent eye for buying fashion brought her a wide and loyal following, like I said, me, not just in Little Rock, but as far away as small boutiques in the Big Apple. Connie, one day we're going to have to have a fashion show of all your stuff here in Little Rock. I can see that in the future, and I want to be a part of it. I have a closet full of your clothes. In 1978, Connie met and became friends with Hillary Rodham Clinton and was asked to make her first gubernatorial inaugural gown that is now on permanent display in the Arkansas Old State House Museum. Twelve years later, Bill Clinton would be elected president, and Connie had the honor of designing Mrs. Clinton's inaugural pantsuit and other ensembles for the inaugural festivities. Now that's some pressure. It was early in the 21st century that Connie decided to close her clothing store, Connie Fails, and accepted the position of manager of the Clinton Museum Store. Along with running the Clinton Store, she has developed a most unusual fashion show competition called Curbside Couture. Students of all ages participate in this annual fashion design program. The main rule is their garment creation must be made using recycled materials of any kind. It all culminates in a gala runway show at the Clinton Presidential Center and provides scholarships. Now is the time to get your application in. Isn't that right? Yes. We'll talk about that today on the show and learn more about how you can uh, either get tickets to go and attend, which I think it's almost always sold out, or how you can uh, apply for an application to become part of it. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table my creative, hardworking, and longtime friend, Miss Connie Fails. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks Very for, excited to be here. Oh, thank you for coming on. I always say this about my guests. I've known you for years, but I really never knew you. You went to Southern Missouri State University. Is it Litchfield? No, I was born in Litchfield. So SMS, as it was called then, is in Springfield, Missouri. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you were born in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Went to school in Southern Missouri State University. What was your degree? So I was born in Illinois, but my dad was a traveling salesman. And in the first grade, he got transferred to Arkansas. What? So I lived in Paris, Arkansas, Forest City, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And then he got transferred to Missouri and then Oklahoma City. And I stayed in Little Rock. He got transferred after that. So I stayed in Little Rock. I loved Arkansas as a grown person. What's your dad sell? He worked for the Rexall Drug Company. And so, sold, so he was a pharmaceutical rep, I guess? Uh, we could call that today, but back in the day, he was traveling all over Arkansas in his 54 Ford, going mm-hmm. to little drug stores that were, you know, in every little corner of Arkansas, tiny little towns and stuff. And it was more than just 
pharmaceuticals. It would be their, he would, he their big thing was vitamins, plenamins, they were called. Vitamins. What were they called? Super plenamins. Oh, <laughs> learned something new every day. Never heard that one before. So you ended up going to school in Missouri. Yes. And what was your degree in? Art. So I started out studying weaving, but, um, well, I started out actually studying painting and drawing. Then I found out that they had a weaving department, which I'd never heard of. I thought, wow, this is, I think I like that. So I moved my major to weaving. And then when I was out of school, I was still weaving, and I had moved to Little Rock, back to Little Rock, mm-hmm. and I was um, teaching, and they had a weaving guild in Little Rock at that time. And then and I had looms in a little house on Monroe Street. I had floor looms and lap looms and every kind of loom. And I was doing craft fairs, and then I got really bored with it. So I thought, maybe I need to take a workshop or something that'll get me excited. So I went to Pennsylvania for a weaver's conference and signed up for this workshop. And the woman walked in the room and she said, well, I know you're all here to do weaving, but actually I'm pretty sick of it. So I moved to Denmark on on a little island because I didn't want to weave anymore. She was chairman of Moore College in Pennsylvania. And she said, uh, now you have to remember, this is 1975, maybe. She said, so I was so sick of weaving that I started going to essentially a yard sale in Denmark and buying old sheets and linens and things and making clothes. And I thought, I think I just connected with that. I know how to do that. I know how to do that. I'm excited again. So I came back to Little Rock in the mid-70s and started going to yard sales, estate sales, buying pillowcases, doilies, everything, and started making clothing, sold all my looms. So I did that for about three years, did the old Montessori craft fair that some people remember. It was in Robinson Auditorium. And uh, a woman in Memphis, and I call her the woman with the James Bond name, Babby Lovett, Babby, uh, yep. Babby Lovett was over because she was always seeking out new artists and something exciting. And she had a eclectic store in Memphis. And then after she had the eclectic store, she had a very chic store with very designer types of clothing. And she still bought my stuff. But she uh, she came and I, I had taken a break from my little booth. And I came back and I said, what happened? And the person that was watching my booth said, we sold all your stuff. I said, to, to who? To Bab. <laughs> to Bab. To Babby, yeah. And uh, so uh, I caught up with her. She left her card, and I called her, and she said, I'd just like you to drive over to Memphis and talk to me about what you're doing. So I said, all right, I'll do that. So I went over to Memphis, and um, I was in my 20s, and um, went into her lovely office, which was so chic and stylish. And, you know, if you even look at my office today, it's an artist's office. It's got stuff piled up and it's everywhere. And uh, she looked at me and she said, um, have you ever heard of a store called Henry Bendel's in New York? I said, no. She said, well, you will. So fast forward from that, um, in about four or five years from that, I guess I was in Henry Bendel's Christmas catalog with my clothing. And you were making these clothing out of sheets. At that point, I transitioned into using scraps because I was buying fabric by then, and I was using the scraps to make my signature mark garment, which was a kimono. So I was making things that you may have bought in my store, dress, shirt, and I'll say here, it's just so, uh, it's kind of, it's nostalgic, and it's funny, and it's comforting, even in the museum store when people will walk in, and some people won't know that I'm doing that. And, and I'll say, uh, hello. They go, oh, look, I'm wearing your dress. Go, today? Yes. To, still so many today? people like you. Are like still, me. It's just like, really? Are you, that's crazy. Uh, so, but anyway, when I was making those dresses, those pants, those shirts, I had, a, I had big boxes full of the scraps uh, because I was always recycling in my life. 
My great-grandmother worked in the garment district in Decatur, Illinois, and when everybody went to visit and they wanted to get rid of me, she'd say, Connie Lee, go to the basement and dig in the scraps. So I did. <laughs> I was like six or something like that. So, but, uh, so that's how curbside was a natural evolution. But, yeah, really. Um, I just thought, I can't, I can't throw these little pieces of synthetic, beautiful-looking silk or the real silk away. And so um, I thought, what do I, what do I love? Them? What is most about me? Issey Miyake in Japan. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try a kimono. I'm going to make a kimono that's mine, the way I would make a kimono. And so that launched my career with Henry Bendels. And, and it's lovely the way you use fabrics. So the front will be one fabric. The arms will be another fabric. Yeah. The back will be another. Sometimes even the front will have two different patterns on the front you know the top and the bottom mine does I have two of them that was my signature mark too of mixing things when people didn't do that and how I raised a child that always wants her shoes to match her dress and her shirt and everything I have no clue let's talk about that's what our children are like let's talk about your children okay we'll do it nobody probably this is what (laughs) makes you are a a true hippie I knew you when you were a true hippie and you were had your store above the run of the mill and we'll talk about that after the break but you also have have adopted two children you have Tell, tell everybody about your children. This just speaks volumes about <laughs> Connie Fails. Oh, well, um, so the diagnosis for me was infertile. So I'm like, okay. Uh, but but I, not true. But not turned out to be not true. Um, that's what they say happens. So be careful when you go camping. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I thought, well, but I, you know, and so my friend who was a therapist who was, I, I mean, it's when people can't have a child and they really want to have a child. And I'm going to tell you what that really means in a second. Um, it's, it's just heartbreaking, you know, and you you're trying to cope with it and figure out how to get a get over that or where do you go or what do you do and finally my my friend and I was paying her I must pay you to help me with this deal you know and she got so frustrated and she stood up one day and she said this is our last session here's what I know this is your fertility doctor no this is my a therapist oh it's my good friend also okay Okay. and I said help me help me get over this and so she stood up and she said this is our last session and here's what I want to say to you what you really want to do is parent and I know you'll figure out how Ooh, that got me. So I went away and I thought, yeah, that's it. And I don't have any bias about anything. I don't choose color, ethnicity, race, gender. That wasn't on my plate. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go do an adoption. So um, then it was interesting to find out how hard it was to do adoption. Uh, I'm Jewish. So if you're Jewish, uh, you know, somebody on the other side doesn't want to give you something that you're going to raise like that. And then <sighs> I'm converted, although my family history was Jewish on my father's side, which doesn't count. Uh, so that didn't work out very well either. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to another country. So so at that point, Korea was doing a lot of adoptions. So I put my application in. It took more than a year. And in the meantime, um, I... Hillary was my friend already, and I said, I need you to write a letter of recommendation about what kind of parent you think I'll be. She says, okay, and then I said, she says, to who? And I told her where it was. She said, why aren't you adopting here in the States? And I said, oh, we can have a learning lesson on this one together. So you need to, mm-hmm. you need to know where that is. So it's very, our children were stuck in uh, foster care, DHS. They were just stuck because of reasons that couldn't get signed off on. So anyway, mm-hmm. I adopted Hannah, and mm-hmm. she arrived in Memphis as a 14-month-old. And I arrived in Memphis to pick her up as four months pregnant. (laughs) 
So, new law with the adoption agency. You got to fess up if you got a bun in the oven. So, oh. it's okay. So, uh, so, I, so Hannah arrived August 12th, and Noah arrived January 25th. I'll be darned. So, like, and then you didn't stop there? I didn't stop there. You decided to do it one more time. You adopted one more time. I did it one more time. And, and this is unbelievable that you did this. So my friend Susan, who was adopted in 1954, and we lovingly call her the dinosaur of Korean adoptees, uh, and we traveled a lot together. We traveled to India, to Romania, to do adoption work. And I said to her one time, I think I can do one more kid. She goes, okay. So she calls me one day, and she said, FedEx is going to arrive at your doorstep today. First kid on the tape is yours. And I said, oh, great. FedEx arrives. I put the VHS in. I turn the television on. I hear Susan's voice, and I see this little girl, black hair, silky hair, and Susan's voice is saying to the interpreter, tell her to put the cap on the pin. And the interpreter says, in Thai. And the little girl doesn't look up. And then the little girl looks up. The interpreter's told her three or four times, put the cap on the pin. And the little girl looks up and goes, shaking her head side to side, no. And so they pan back and show a little girl with no arms. So she was putting the cap on the pin with her toes. So I called Susan and I said, she said, oh, great. Did you get the tape? I said, I did. <laughs> the story on me. I said, what made you think I wanted a kid with a disability? She said, oh, you must have missed her personality. And she hung up on me. Oh, wow. <laughs> so about four years after that, with a lot of legal work and stuff, uh, I flew to Thailand with my husband and we picked Kate up. And Kate is turned 31 in July. And you... What made you decide that you kept looking at the tape and thinking? Oh, my heart was there immediately. And mm-hmm. partly I knew that um, culturally, I'm not sure how it is if, if life has moved forward. But in Thailand, the worst thing you can do, if you just want to tell somebody off, just take your shoe off and show them the bottom of your foot. Oh. And so I thought, this child has no chance. Because she has to do everything with her feet. She has she, to do everything. She literally eats with her feet. She's so incredibly. Uh, well, she drives, she drives a regular car with no special adaptations. This girl's unbelievable. She's tiny. She's about 4'9". She weighs about 70 pounds. Uh, quick story if we have time for this. I was in Walmart one night with her, and we were talking to each other, and she doesn't pay attention. And this has just been like two years ago or something, a chat going on. And people will stare at Kate. Kate just really doesn't respond to it anymore. And so this uh, guy was standing there, and he kind of just kept staring, kept staring. Finally, thought, okay, I'm going to make eye contact. I said, hey. He said, um, I said, did, did you have any questions? And he said, Yes. He looked at Kate and he said, did I see you driving a car the other day? <laughs> she said, yes. So I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, I love this girl. Case I'm glad sealed. she's doing it. She yeah. living in Little Rock? Where's she living? She is. She lives in Little Rock. All right. This is a great place to take a break. I love talking to you, Connie. You're just a <laughs> remarkable woman. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Connie Fales and her remarkable life. She's the clothing designer. She, and she was a clothing designer. I guess you're once a clothing designer, always a clothing designer. She's the manager of the Clinton Museum Store and facilitator of the Curbside Couture. We'll ask her about her honor and the pressure of designing an inaugural outfit for the First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton and learn how you can compete or attend her Curbside Couture fashion show with clothes designed by students from 3rd to 12th grade using recycled products. We'll be back after the break. Thank you for listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. And be sure to wave old glory on the 4th of July this year and through the whole holiday weekend. You know, flagandbanner.com has all different sizes of American flags, kits for display, instruction videos, which are very helpful, beautiful patriotic bunting if you really want to go all out, 
And by coming to the showroom downtown Little Rock at 800 West 9th Street, you can browse through everything we have for the 4th of July and the whole year. These days, shoppers read comments on websites before they do their shopping, and here's a few from just the past few weeks. Ruth R. says, the website's easy to use. The flag came to us super quick, and it looks great. Philip H.'s comment, cheaper and better than Walmart. Thank you. And Herb C. says, I always come here for the best quality flags. He's talking about Flag and Banner and flagandbanner.com. This week is the 4th of July weekend. Be sure to wave old glory. Check out our inventory at flagandbanner.com. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Miss Connie Fales, manager of the Clinton Museum Store and director of Curbside Couture, a fashion design competition in Little Rock, Arkansas. Before the break, we talked about Connie's life, how she started off going to school to be an art, uh, art uh, I guess, an art student, fell in love with weaving, then fell in love with recycling clothes before it was even fashionable. Got your uh, designs picked up by what was the name of that? What was the name? Henry Bendels. Henry Bendels in New York City. Mm-hmm. Then I had her maid tell her personal life about how she birthed a child and adopted two children, and how wonderful they all are, and how exciting all of that was, and the complications about trying to adopt a child in the United States, which I've never done, so I don't know anything about. But I hear some that it, I know back when you were trying to do it, it was hard. I don't know if it still is anymore. It's gotten better. Good. So, Connie Fells Clothing Store. When I met you, you were above run-of-the-mill. I bought a slip, I think, that was probably made out of a sheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had trim on it that probably came from a pillowcase. And um, uh, then you decided you, were, you decided to move down the street. So, tell us about how you start for all the entrepreneurs listening out here. So, how did you decide to start that business there? Where did you get the money to do it? And then how did you get that leap of faith to move down the street and open up your own store? Yeah, it was a leap of faith for Shirley. There was. Um, and it was the mid-70s, and uh, I worked for a brokerage firm. I was totally inappropriate for a brokerage yeah, firm. Yeah, I read that in your bio. I was like a stockbroker in the 70s. That's just, you should have hung in there because the 80s were great. You'd be rich right now, girl. No, it was worse. I was really the mean person in the back that did the margin calls. So if your account was uh, below what we needed, I'm the one who gave the notice to you I needed a check for $20,000 or something. So I wasn't very popular, and I just didn't – I wasn't able to use my creativity. I used it at night and on the weekends. Uh, I had just met the person that would become my husband, Leslie Singer, and he was uh, all for. He said, "Let's just uh, let's we just got to try it." And the woman who was teaching that workshop in uh, Pennsylvania came to visit a year after I did the workshop, and she walked in to, and I said, "Well, I'm not weaving anymore. Here's what I'm doing." And she looked at me and she said, "Quit your day job." Oh, and so that started the conversation between Leslie and I. We were not married at that time. Could I just take that leap of faith? And it was Arkansas, and women dressed. Uh, didn't dress like I was doing. Nobody dressed like you were doing. And George Worthen had enough faith in me that he gave me a $4,000 loan. and Signature loan, probably. Mm-hmm. Back uh-huh. in the good old days. Yes, and I got those for a long time. And uh, I just, so the reason the Hillary thing came up is that I had opened my store in um, August. And Is this the one above the above run of the mill? Run of the mill. Okay. And in December, I had a little trunk show. It's the first time I'd ever done that of some jewelry. 
and uh, the guy didn't want to take the jewelry home at night, so it stayed. It was uh, it was like uh, Chinese silver, so it wasn't like gems or anything like that. And that night, I don't know if it's I, I don't we have no clue. We never found out how it happened, but someone broke in and arsoned the building. So I was standing out front of the building with the fireman. The my whole upstairs was just charred and burned, and run of the mill below had all of the water damage and some burn damage and everything. So I was standing outside with the fireman discussing. And the postman came, and he had a little tiny envelope. And I thought, that's weird. What is that? Looks like an invitation to a baby shower or something. I don't know anybody <laughs> having a baby. So I'm standing there, and I opened it up, and it said, uh, Dear Connie, you might recognize me if you saw me, but you may not know my name. My name, but my husband has just been elected governor. My name is Hillary Rodham, and I'd like you to make my gown. So there's You've never even met her yet. She'd been in the shop. She said, I come to your shop and bring people from out of town because I love them to see your store. Wow. So uh, so I actually had a woman who had a sewing business in an old mail truck, a big mail truck. And her name was Alora. She was from Ola, Arkansas. And she had been coming around my studio saying, I'll help you sew a little bit. And I said, I could use that, you know. She just pulled her truck right up your front door and sew out of the back of it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she would come into my store some, but she had her thing all set up as this great studio. And unlike me, she's totally organized with everything folded and pins put away and everything. Right. So now I didn't have a place to do that, and I needed to make Hillary's gown. So Alora pulled her mail truck into my driveway on Monroe Street down by War Memorial. We got a big, long extension cord and plugged her into the house, and we did the first the first gown for the, it's at the old state house now. Anybody doesn't think business is creative is crazy. We hear those kind yeah. of stories all the time that's very ingenious. do what you got to do very ingenious yeah, yeah. and yeah. so you made her first gown out of a sewing machine out of the back of this woman's mail truck yes <laughs> that was it you just can't make that stuff up if i write a, if i write <laughs> two a wild girls i mean it all worked out you know <laughs> and so now it's on display at the old state house it is so you did when did you decide so did you decide to move down the street when the old mills house burned and your place burned is that what no, it got we restored it, and but uh, the person who owned Run of the Mill wanted more room for the business she was doing, and I actually needed more room, and I wanted by that time I was ready to have a storefront right on the street, and so I found the little building that was up by Hocott's, and Mr. Hocott still owned it, and uh, it was actually three different sections of building, so I got the I rented the first section, and after about five years I took over the second section, and then eventually took over the third section, so I had the whole building. At the time, yeah. Um, did you were you had a seamstress there that was sewing on site at that time? So I had a cutter, someone that did nothing but cut things from my, the patterns that I designed and made, and then I had anywhere from I had two fabulous ruby and rose sewers that sewed for me forever, and occasionally I would have a third sewer. It would depend on seasonally how busy that we were. Mm-hmm. So they, I would design things. They would get cut. They would get made. Then they would just come over into the retail store, be priced, and people like you would come in and buy them. And then you not just you didn't just sell your designs. You right. also went to market. And I have to say, your eye for buying fashion was dead on. Thank you. You're welcome. I still have some of those pieces. Can't put my big toe in them, but I think they're <laughs> darling, and I keep them. I understand that too. Uh, but I did. I I do have an intuitively good eye about things, mm-hmm. uh, about buying things. About um, I got the best compliment. And I was standing there and didn't know I was going to get it from Scott McGee uh, at a Christmas party. And he was introducing me to somebody who had just moved to town. And he said, you, you don't know who this woman is. He said, but she had, she had the guts to do the first boutique in Little Rock. I thought, is that true? wow, that is so nice. Well, nobody did what I did. Nobody sewed. Nobody had that kind of bohemian boutique. No, they didn't. That took 
a risk. And it's kind of, in, in retrospect, if you look, my store was right between, my store was the last store before you went to the Heights. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was nested right between Hillcrest and the Heights, which were so kind of yin and yang with each other yeah. too, and what people's tastes were and how people lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. That's mm-hmm. a great spot, wasn't it? Yeah. There was the phone booth up in the Heights. But they there was. But yeah. they didn't do any, um, like you said, they didn't do any uh, sewing or right it was a it was a type of boutique but it was nothing like yours no yeah that was bliss thomas bliss, and right. uh yeah no one else did that because um i don't know either maybe you had a your mom had a sewer that did alterations or stuff but nobody took, well everybody sewed back then yeah but and no one took the risk to just go off and think that um well i don't know that that kind of very different very different not structured you know sewed your jackets Mm -hmm. on the outside instead of the inside or you know so it's 12 years later and bill clinton has been asked to has been made the president of the united states Mm -hmm. and you get to design another outfit that's going to be on the world stage what an honor how did that come about well you can imagine it was a big conversation friends and family and stuff were saying oh maybe you'll get to do it again i said no, she's the first lady of the United States. It's going to be Fifth Avenue. Mm-hmm. And I should have, and that, and I thought, are you not listening to your little voice about Hillary? Uh, because she always supports artists. She's always supporting Arkansans. And the next exhibit at the library, which we might have one line about soon, is in 1993, she did the first ever craft, American craft exhibit. So she had craftsmen from all the United States. So anyway, one day she called and she said, um, so... Um, so-and-so, and I would like to come by and talk to you for a few minutes. This is after the, he'd been elected. And I said, okay, that's great. I look forward to seeing you. I haven't seen you since the election and all that kind of stuff. And they come in, and the person with her is a whole lot younger, and uh, it's kind of is an aide. And I can tell she's not just not like in the conversation very much, too much. And so Hillary said, well, I'm going to ask you if you would uh, do my clothing for the inaugural. And I said, like your clothing, clothing for the inaugural? <laughs> And she said, yes. She said, well, you know, I have to do a lot of different things on several days. So there will be like five or six outfits a day. There will be the inaugural suit. Probably need a coat. I said, you don't like the cold. You probably need a hat. She said, yeah, that sounds good. She said, that blue hat and blue pantsuit? <laughs> it's not a pantsuit. She didn't have pantsuit on. She had, a, she had a suit on. So she had a rose colored with a blue fleck in it suit. It was a, a straight skirt and a a jacket and a shirt underneath it so I didn't realize that I chose a fabric before it became popular that little tweedy fabric with the little square that everybody had a suit out of and then everybody gave them to goodwill because they they were so you know but at that point no one had that fabric so we did that and then we did the blue coat and then I took a lot of flack for the hat because people didn't like the hat I loved it I loved the hat I thought I, it was I great remember. It's and the hat, I remember she wore the hat ended up having its own great story because of the girl who did the hat in New York I sent her the swatch of the fabric and I asked her to do the hat and she showed me the styles and I said this take this down a little bit make this a little bit like this and we got through it all and um, years later, I was at market, and I mean, years later, like 15 years after that, and I was at market, and I heard someone say, Connie, Connie. I'm like, okay. And I turned around. It was this woman that I'd noticed earlier that had this incredible big brimmed hat on. It was summer, and a little black and white polka dot skirt and a little white shirt. And I thought, wow, that woman looks really good. And I turned around. And she says, it's me. It's Darcy. I made the hat. Oh my, oh my god she said the hat changed my life she said this guy who was a big hat maker called me after that 
And she said, I ended up marrying him. I live on Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> said, what a good Oh, you got fairy dust all over you, girl. <laughs> That's good. That is good. Yeah, so lots of stuff, good stuff came out of the blue hat. Was it uh, nerve-wracking to know that you're going to be on the world stage like that and be looked at so hard? Or did you ever think about it? Did you, you know, have those nights at night you're like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Yeah, well... Yes, because the night that Air Force One, they were going to take off the next day, I told my sewers, I said, you know, we have to finish everything. This is it. We got, we're done. However, we have to stay here. So remember, 1992, there's no cell phones. And so we're all sewing and people's husbands are calling saying, yeah, we're still here. We're still here. We're safe. Yeah, we're okay. It's late, but we're safe. And so uh, finally, the phone rang in the store and I answered it. And uh, it was my husband. And he said, the president just called me. He's concerned about you. And I said, we're just about to make the delivery. And it was 2.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so I drove everything over to the governor's mansion. And I, I always call him President Clinton. I don't call him Bill. Right. And President Clinton came out. He said, wow. He said, I had Secret Service out going all over the grounds. I thought maybe, I don't know, you got lost or something <laughs> out here in the dark. I said, no, sir, I'm fine. I said, I just need to unload these clothes down to the wire down to the wire yeah it's great so but it's like that thing i of course my son's a big cyclist the birth baby in between the girls and we watch the tour de france all the time but Mm -hmm. i look at it like if i i never really i want at one time i thought i wanted to go to the tour but i miss everything if i go to the tour i'm just standing in one spot for three seconds when the riders go by so kind of going to the inaugural it was later when i watched the reruns of the whole thing i could kind of see the scope of everything. Because I just saw a Gertrude Stein um, quote that I love. It says, we're always the same age inside. Yeah. And so I'm always the same person. I'm just in that. We and I were talking about being in the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was in the moment so much as I was in my kids say la la land. Uh, and that's why my grandchildren call me la la. But, um, <laughs> you know, you're just there and it is wonderful and magnificent at that you're like the second row or the first row and you're watching the president be, being sworn in. But then later you hear Peter Jennings or somebody saying your name when you watch the tape and I go, really? <laughs> That's kind of fun. It's good. Oh, it's so good. You're listening to Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Miss Connie Fails, manager of the Clinton Museum Store and director of Curbside Couture, a fashion design competition for students grades third through twelfth. So it's time you've been you've had your you've had Connie Fails uh, clothing store and designer sh- store for how many years? And you've decided to move to the museum store. Almost thirty years. And Hillary comes to you and says, we're about to open the Clinton Library. Do you want to run the store? Actually, it was like this. I was watching the library get close to being ready. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, I'm all about retail. So I was thinking there will be a museum store in there. So I called the president's office and I said, would you just give him a message? I said, the library is coming along. If he wants some help with his museum store, I'd be happy to help him. They said, okay. They called me back and they said, he said, sell your store and do his. I said, <laughs> would you just tell him I'll call him back? <laughs> so okay, Connie, that's a little bit of brevity on that. You, you just should listen and think about this a little bit. Uh, and so I thought, gosh, at that point I was 55. And I thought, what a great opportunity to have a whole new career. And I've known the Clinton so long, I thought museum stores uh, have an obligation uh, 
through the IRS, thank you very much, on the uh, choice of your product in your store. About 95% of it has to represent your exhibits, your, in our case, our person, our temporary exhibits, our permanent exhibits, the history of everything. So there was a lot for me to learn. Uh, but I thought I also bring to this, this table uh, humor and the things that they like. So I thought, I, I can do this. I think I want to do this. Uh, you know, there will be some hiccups along the way, uh, but it, it's been a big learning curve, and I'm just so passionate about how I represent the president and um, the former first lady, Secretary of State Clinton. Um, I love doing book signings. I love doing personal things that I can do that they need with. Most recently, President Clinton, oh, it's just a few weeks ago, and I'm working on this one. He loves to give uh, President Bush socks. And uh, he gave him the first pair from my store was one with a black Labrador on it, okay? And then he gave him a pair with uh, his image on them. So then he had someone call me and say, ask her if she can make bipartisan socks. So that's, that's what I'm working on right now. Is there going to be a donkey on one, on one, on I'm going to keep it a secret for now. So you make custom socks, so you design a sock and send it to a sock maker and you get a custom sock made? Yep. That's how it works. Not knitting anymore. You're not knitting. I'm not knitting anymore. <laughs> yeah, you do. You know, you just work on your idea, you toss it out, you say, this is what I think I want to do. If, you know, luckily I, have a, I do have the background in fashion. So like if I'm designing t-shirts or hats or other things, I'm ahead of the, I'm ahead of the curve on that. You, uh, the fir- at first, they wouldn't let you put the store, the Clinton Museum store in the library. It had to be down the street in the River Market area. Um, and that was a disappointment, I think, to everybody. Well, including when they told me. But uh, you just have to get over it and go on. So there was a legal reason, and the legal reason involved um, a rebate from the city uh, if you improve the downtown district. And we all know that the library being put in Little Rock, Arkansas, where it is, brought our whole downtown to life again, which is just incredible. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, um, I'll do anything for President Clinton. And so if this store needs to be down here until they resolve this legal issue to see if they're going to get the rebate, and it, it, it was several million dollars. And so it took seven years and two trips to the Supreme Court. But the foundation finally, the city had to pay the foundation. And we used that money to restore the bridge, which had been closed for over 50 years. The walking bridge? Yes. So the bridge on our property, the old uh, Rock Island Railroad, we used that money so that we would have this incredible running, biking, walking, uh, pedestrian bridge. It's wonderful. Yeah. I don't understand why we don't hear the good news about the things the Clintons do. And we just hear so much crazy stuff all the time about not just the Clintons, all the politicians. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how any politician can stand to be in office because they work all the time for the good of the people. But it's the mistakes they make that are that get talked about on TV all the time. I just heard this week and, you know, I'm kind of the person in charge of defining quotes that I can put President Clinton's quotes on coffee mugs or pins or whatever, T-shirts or whatever, in hopes that people will absorb some of them. But one quote that I guess President Clinton says all the time, and I hadn't really heard him say, is you've got to get caught trying. You've got to get caught trying. And the other one, though, that I it's the only quote I've ever heard, and that applies to why you don't hear. I'm talking about hearing things that people do get caught doing good. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the one quote uh, when my now eight year old was five months old, uh, President Clinton was holding her. And she was holding on to his little finger, and he looked at her, and he said, 90% of life is hanging on. Oh, thought, that's wow, a good one. Doesn't President Clinton know that? <laughs> so 90% of life, life is, is hanging, hanging on. on. It's a favorite quote of mine. That's yeah. a great tweet. 
Um, and what also you're 55 and you've gone from being a, every entrepreneur out here will know this. You've gone from being an entrepreneur who you never know if you're going to get a paycheck mm-hmm. to being a federal employee. Is that not right? Not a federal employee, a foundation employee. Oh, I thought you were, I thought you worked for the federal government when you took that job. Nope. It's foundation. And, but with that you get. So now I became someone who actually gets a paycheck every it, time everybody else does. Someone who gets health insurance. Yeah. Right. And all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I'd put my heart and soul into a small business for 30 years and making sure my employees had as much as I could do in every single way that I did it. And, you know, I'm a big person in the community. I'm always out giving to some auction or doing something like that. And the decision was great. I was just ready to take a break and in a way be cared for on the things I had to worry about a lot and devote a, the rest of myself to loving the job that I do for the Clinton Museum. It store. was very stressful when you opened it up. Oh my gosh. Well, it was, um, I mean, there were a bunch of cats chasing jello in that, you know, building. <laughs> so, uh, it was just, but, uh, I thought when it was happening, sometimes I'd sit down about ten thirty at night and I'd still be there. And I would think this is to, to me from the outside looking in, this is the way the Clinton's life has always been. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts going on, you know, lots of ups and downs. And uh, I thought, I get control of this. I'll get this. Do, are you good at delegating? Of course not. That's what I think about <laughs> sometimes on stuff like that. I'm saying, you know, when you're an artist, you kind of want to do everything yourself. Yeah. I've learned. I've, I've become better. And when they started getting interns, I thought, oh, my gosh, please don't do this to me. I have to have an intern. I have to try. But I've, um, I've, I've, I've gotten better at it. You've been service-oriented ever since I've known you. Mm-hmm. You've been paying it forward all the time. Does that come from somewhere in your family? You know, my parents, they were, um, you know, my parents were born in the 20s. And my dad was in World War II and the Korean War. They went through the Depression. Uh, but they made a, a nice middle-class life for my brother and I. And they, what they taught me was to, they didn't, I don't think they thought this directly, but if you see something and you can do something about something, then you do it. So if you can contribute your time uh, or your money or your craft or whatever it is, you just, you just, you have an obligation. If you see that you can fix something or help something, you do that. And I just think that's where that came from. You've always been good at that. I'm going to tell everybody that you're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and that I'm speaking today with Miss Connie Fells, manager of the Clinton Museum Store and director of Curbside Couture, an annual fashion design competition for students of all ages using recycled materials. Uh, Let's talk about the Curbside Couture. How did it come about? So a few years ago, well, let's see, it's been seven years ago now. Wow, that's a long time. I didn't realize it. Yeah, the exhibit that was uh, upcoming was an Oscar de la Renta exhibit. So Oscar de la Renta did all of Hillary's clothes for the second inaugural. And he was She's just... She's moving on up. Yeah, she did get on Fifth Avenue. And, and it was it was great. And I didn't know... Did you that, like him? I, I didn't know him personally. No, did you like the clothes? Oh, yes. Yeah. I thought they were stunning. Okay. And uh, he has her seal of approval. Yeah. And I, I will say that the press, I think, was so, um, what's the word? I want to say mean, but I don't want to say that. But the press was not uh, critical. Friend, yeah, they were critical of uh, her and uh, of her things that people shouldn't be judged on. Uh, her, they do that to women. What's up with that? Yeah. So they were, you know, they were like, doing yeah. that business. And what she was so much smarter than me. So she. Um, she just she if you're going to criticize my legs i'll just put pantsuits on and i'll stop that you know and i thought that was great 
And I actually did um, a black coat for her that had an applique on the back. And the press office called me one day during the time that she had to go to the Whitewater stuff. And they said, they, Neil said, Connie, did you put a dragon on the back of her coat? I said, of course not. Why would I do what? She's my friend. What do you mean? He said, well, the press says that thing on the back of her coat. And so I saw her a few months later and I looked at her. And I said, you're wearing my black coat. She said, do you like it? She said, I just took that off. <laughs> she took the dragon. I said, it wasn't a dragon. What but, was it? But just it was an just applique? an applique that came from the 1930s garment district. It was She liked vintage old things like yeah. that. But anyway, uh, so Oscar de la Renta, uh, oh, I just, would, I just want to go see more of his clothes again. So that exhibit was so spectacular and the craftsmanship. And I, I, I don't care if you don't care about clothes or whatever, you would so appreciate it. Those clothes were amazing. I saw them. So the foundation asked me if I'd like to speak at something since I'd had a career in fashion for so long. Mm. And I said, no, I don't. But yeah. I said, I've had this idea and I would love to play with it. I said, well, what is that? And I said, I want to kind of mentor kids to recycle anything into fashion or design. They said, okay. So I kind of thought this will be a one-hit wonder. I'll just run as fast as I can, scramble around and get these kids to do some stuff. Well, you're back to your roots, recycling. Yeah, because I only had a four-month window before I needed to have a little show. So that year, I managed to get about 30 or 40 students to participate. And Babby came over and did a little MC thing for me and stuff. And then it was over. And after, and this was December when we had it the very first time. And after it was over, the foundation said, that was so successful. It was so great for the education and everything like that. They said, we want to do it again. And I said, oh, okay. I was real perky. And they said, in April. I said, no, I said, April is four months away. I just did this, you know. Mm -hmm. So they said, but April is Earth Day. I said, okay, I'll stand up for that one. So it was quite a chore to do that again in that close period of time. You did two in eight months. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, did. Uh, And then, uh, so then after that, we got kind of on a better schedule. And it's grown every year. Uh, last year, we had 250 entries. Uh, it, it, became, it had to become kind of a juried show because I'm the MC for the show. And in order to get like 85 students on the runway within an hour, which I cannot do because think about it, there's you know only 60 minutes in an hour. I only have one minute to talk about all the work these kids have done for months and months and months. So I usually just cheat a little bit and I run over an hour but uh it does mean that the kids that did the most work or did the most whatever there's we have a little um scale that we kind of judge things on you know did you really use recycle did your grandma help you because i tell them i don't want to see anybody else's voice in this but you you know and uh so i have uh four people that help me with that amy bell from south on maine kato mamalu uh aaron lorenzen and new is bryant phelan who does the most amazing leather purses um, so everybody that applied, you had 200 apply that year. So does everybody that applies gets to participate and then you pick down to 85 that you're actually going to show on the runway show? They don't because there's no other option for participation. We've tossed around and talked. We need a bigger place. That's why we'd like people to sponsor it more. We'd like to have a big corporate sponsor for it. The uh, Great Hall at the library is where we have the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year, I figured out a new way to configure, and instead of getting about 350 people in there, I was able to get 420 people to view the show. It does become a sold-out show every year, and but all the money goes back into you know bring curbside back again for more students. And I've had I've had one student get uh, an internship 
in costuming at Saturday Night Live. No had way. One, isn't that awesome? Yeah. Uh, and she was one who, in the very beginning, told her teacher, I don't want to do this. And her teacher looked at her and she said, because it was going to be an after-school art project, she said, I don't want to do this. She said, okay, it's an assignment. <laughs> I was like, I wish I were so smart. So how do people apply? They go so to the you, Clinton Museum store and click on? No, you go to Clinton Presidential Center, okay. CPC, Clinton Presidential Center, and go to the education bar. And uh, unless they've reconfigured it, you have to scroll down quite a bit, and you can you go to events, and then curbside couture will come up. So uh, you can probably uh, Google curbside couture. If you Google curbside couture, I will be the very first thing that comes up in Google, I'm happy to say. Great. All about curbside. Oh, so, great. and it'll, you can, yeah, you can lead yourself there by doing that. Uh, and then, and then there's an application where you fill it out there, I guess. You just kind of register and say you want to participate. And I'll tell you what happens is that um, sometimes uh, students like, I want to be a fashion designer. And let me just mention it's third through 12th grade. So you'd be amazed at what third and fourth graders can do. Um, but once they get into it and they register for it, sometimes they go, oh my gosh, this was so much more work than I was willing to put into anything. Or something happens, they move, or they get so involved in another subject at school that they yeah. go, you know, I can't do this. So, but, uh, you know, we'll end up, so this do year. You, do you decline anybody? Yes, we do. Because we have to jury it down. And there's at nothing. At the beginning, do you decline them or do no, you accept no, them no, all at the beginning? Accept all registrations. And then. And at then, the end, you begin to so, call the call the group at yeah. towards the end. So let me say that we also have a mentoring thing in March, four weeks before the show, so they can ask questions. And then the delivery is two weeks before the show, and then that's when the jurying comes in, and we pick the 85 or 80 or 90 or whatever it is that year mm-hmm. that will be on the runway. But I'd like to follow find an alternative for those who don't get picked because there's still so much work that they've put into that. Yeah. And I like what Coteau said. She said, no one goes away from this event crying. Because even if they didn't get in, they learn so much, and it'll drive them on. You talked about the mathematics that go into it. Mm-hmm. Mathematics, science, they dye things. They have to gather things. Um, they look up history. They on, study stuff. On the video, yeah, right. On the video that uh, you sent me, uh, one girl made her dress out of maps. I loved it. And the, and on, she didn't say this, I don't think, on the video, but on the maps, which were this wonderful swirling dress, you could see little square things. Those were pictures of her with her family at the places they had visited in Arkansas on the map. Clever. So she, yeah. So if she went to Murfreesboro, she put the picture of the Crater of Diamonds and her family digging around and stuff on there. That's great. Or did she laminate them all? It looked like they might have mm-hmm. been she laminated. Did. Yeah, she so did. So she laminated them all, glued them together? Uh, you know, I'm not sure how she put that one together, but often these kids, uh, 95% of these things are not sewn. They are held together with uh, glue or staples or duct tape, or but they look couture. I mean, there's the they fireman look. thing was uh, Japan, uh, get ready, you know. It yeah. Was act, it was she amazing. She was good. Yeah. Uh, and y'all, you can Google Connie, like she said, uh, uh, curbside couture and find out stuff and see the video that we're talking about. These kids are so extraordinary things that you inspire in these kids i'm telling you it's uh, it's really great kind of have a gift for you you have i don't know what you give to somebody who does everything you don't give them clothes you don't give them anything about arkansas or the united states and i happen to own a flag store because they already have all that stuff so i so i know you either just got back from the beach or going to the beach we just got back well that's too bad <laughs> <laughs>
Um, it's a beach towel that says flagandbanner.com. Oh, you know what? We love beach towels at our I house. We use them for in the shower and bath rather than a towel tub. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. You have just been. Oh, it's been a joy. Thank you. You're great. Thank you. Um, if you have a great entrepreneurial story that you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions. That's with an S at upyourbusiness.org. Or you can uh, send me a message through flagandbanner.com's Facebook page. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me and Connie. If you think this program has been about you, you're right, but it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then... Be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show, contact me, Gray, at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.